0: From the virtual newsroom of Impact Alpha, this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, March 19th. I'm Brian Walsh. Today, I'm joined by Impact Alpha's Amy Cortese to bring us up to speed on this week's explosion in impact crowdfunding. Welcome back, Amy.
1: Thanks, Brian. Good to be here.
0: But first, here's what you need to know from this week in Impact Investing. Amazon is facing its biggest union organizing effort yet, and some of the retail giant's biggest investors are backing... The workers, about six thousand warehouse workers in Alabama, are voting before the end of the month on whether to join the Retail Wholesale and Department Store Union. Institutional investors that together hold twenty billion dollars in Amazon shares sent a letter urging the company to stay neutral. In her new column on Impact Alpha, contributing editor Imogen Rose Smith, well known to listeners of this podcast explains why some investors are pressing for better treatment of workers in order to drive better long-term outcomes for investors as well. Union pension funds flex their muscles in the drama over at Danone as well. Emmanuel Faber, CEO of the French food giant and a champion of sustainable business, was ousted this week. The pressure came from an activist investor, Artisan Partners, a skeptic on Danone's mission-driven tilt. Then, CTW, that's short for Change to Win, an advisor to union pension funds, blasted back at Artisan's practices and defended Danone's. We haven't heard the last of this story. The democratization of finance was advancing in both crowdfunding, which we'll get to in a moment with Amy, and another front, employee ownership. A new report from the Democracy Collaborative chronicles a dozen funds helping firms make the transition to worker control. The funds range from mission-driven funds, which offer concessionary returns, to private equity funds with mid-range returns of 12-15%. to Among the notable deals this week was Pure Harvest's $50 million raise via a Sharia-compliant sukuk. Pure Harvest grows vegetables in greenhouses in the Middle East. Islamic law requires financial risk to be shared by creditor and debtor, and for lending to be backed by real assets. And in the Netherlands electric vehicle startup Lightyear raised $48 million. The company's spin on electric vehicles, built-in solar panels that boost the car's range to 440 miles. And this final story is a slam dunk. Kevin Durant is the NBA's top scorer for Impact. The Impact holding company Copiece crunched 2 billion data points to score NBA players' positive impact. KD and his Brooklyn Nets teammate Kyrie Irving ranked highest on Vibe, That's the valuation of impact brand equity vibe. Rounding out the starting five, the Warriors, Draymond Green, the Wizards, Russell Westbrook, and the Lakers, LeBron James. Impact Alpha subscribers got all of these stories and more. And now it's time for our feature conversation. I'm joined once again by Amy Cortese, who's been covering the crowdfunding beat for us.
1: Yeah, Brian, I've been covering this since the very beginning. Um, it's been four years since the Jumpstart Our Business Startups Act or Jobs Act went into effect. Um, but, it, you know, it sort of bumped along. Um, it's been doing well, but it, it had a really big week this week.
0: Yeah, I understand that the Securities and Exchange Commission recently changed its rules for crowdfunding, which led to a surge in crowdfunding investments this week. And you've been talking to some of the companies and the platforms who have had successful raises. But before we get to those conversations, can you walk us through what changes were put in place?
1: Um, Sure, Brian. Yeah, the the changes help companies by increasing the amount of money that they can raise from just over a million dollars to five million dollars today, which is a a substantial amount. They also allowed what's known as special purpose vehicles um, so that when you're taking on, you know, thousands of new individual investors, as a number of companies did this week, On your cap table, right? they can show up as just one entity. So you you deal with them as one entity. It's much easier to manage and follow on investors like that better as well. Another change was that the SEC is now allowing companies to test the waters. So before they commit to the expense of uh, going through a crowdfunding campaign, which will include, Hiring lawyers and accountants and filing forms with the SEC, uh, they can actually gauge interest from investors um, on a crowdfunding platform, sort of um, uh, conducting, you know, a, a mock campaign to, to um, get indications of interest. Um, on the investor side, the new rules remove a cap on how much accredited investors can invest. And that's a pretty big deal because it doesn't exist in any other sort of um, private fundraising. So, you know, it was it was a little um, limiting uh, for crowdfunding.
0: So these changes in rules have kind of helped both sides of the market, both the companies raising money and the investors looking to invest, uh, to do, to- do more and do more activity. And so that led to a big week this week for crowdfunding. I understand there were a couple of blockbuster deals.
1: Yeah. On the very first day that the new rules went live, Gumroad, which is a marketplace for online creators, raised $5 million, the max, from more than 8,000 investors in a single day. So that was pretty big. Um, unlike a lot of startups... Gumroad had, I think, around 10 million in revenue last year, and actually turned a profit. So that's also, um, I think, uh, reflective of the, you know, the change you're going to see when you allow companies to raise five million dollars. You might start getting these more established companies make use of uh, regulation crowdfunding.
0: And and what kind of platforms out there are helping these companies raise the money?
1: Yeah, there's a whole bunch of them. There's about 60 of them, but the main ones are StartEngine, SeedInvest, WeFunder, and Republic had two of the big offerings this week, um, Gumroad as well as Backstage Capital, Arlen Hamilton's venture capital firm.
0: And what was uh, unique about this Backstage Capital raise?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, um, you know Arlen Hamilton. If you know anything about her, she is known for breaking molds, right? She, uh, you know, basically willed backstage capital into being um, with very little experience, no experience actually, as a venture capitalist, and she's gone on to raise a lot of money and really demonstrate the value of investing in diverse and as she calls them underestimated entrepreneurs so it kind of made sense that she would use regulation crowdfunding to let you know everyday people participate and, and share in her success um, a lot of the so she she had a, a crowdfunding offering last month on Republic quickly hit the max um, so this month, this week, she was able to relaunch that campaign and let people in. It was oversubscribed. There were a lot of people that were turned away. So now these investors have a chance to um, uh, get in on that and Arland has the opportunity to um, raise up to $5 million.
0: So Amy, $5 million is a lot of money, but for some of these companies, it's not that much money. So what, what are some of the other reasons why uh, companies would choose to raise money through crowdfunding platforms?
1: Yeah, um, Brian, that's a great question. And I spoke with Johnny Price from WeFunder uh, just today about that. Here's Johnny.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's two two main benefits of running a fundraising campaign on WeFunder. Um, the first is that you can recruit an army of champions, customers, supporters, um, and that's awesome for B2C businesses. That's loyal customers and brand ambassadors. Um, But then the other big benefit of WeFunder is that we just make it easier for you to raise capital. right? Um, So regulation crowdfunding does two really cool things. Firstly, it enables a founder to publicly promote the raise. Uh, So no longer just limited to private solicitation, they can go on a podcast like this one, they can uh, post on Facebook, they can send an email blast to their customers, put on LinkedIn, get in the press, et cetera. so, that's the first thing they can publicly promote. And then, secondly, anyone that sees their campaign being advertised or marketed can invest. It's not, not limited to rich people, um, but anyone can invest for as little as $100. Um, and, and then, by the way, you get in front of WeFunders' million strong investor base as well. And typically, they account for 40% of the raise. But I guess, you know, when it comes to our mission um, as a PBC, you know, one of the things we talk about in our charter is. You know to, to level the playing field we're excited about getting more capital flowing to entrepreneurs throughout america period and um, we yeah. think more capital needs to be flowing to early stage entrepreneurs and so we can do that in aggregate but also if you disaggregate it right now one percent of vc goes to black founders three percent goes to female only founding teams versus eighty percent to male only founding teams and 77 percent of venture capital is concentrated in three states california new york and massachusetts so one of the things we hope that wefunder and, and regulation, crowdfunding, and a more democratic um, approach to raising capital uh, can do is to get more capital flowing to uh, entrepreneurs of color, um, female founders, and the 47 states that aren't Californ- California, New York, and Massachusetts. Um, and you know, this is not a silver bullet, right? Like one one thing I think about a lot, and and we're trying to grapple with and and wrestle with this challenge we wefunder, but Right now, if Black uh, median household wealth is, um, I believe, $10,000 and White median household wealth is $170,000, and then a WeFunder campaign allows you to go to your community, well, if your community is less wealthy, then that's also um, a structural challenge that um, Black founders will, will face raising we WeFunder versus White founders. So certainly not a panacea. There's still sy- systemic kind of uh, inequalities here, um, but certainly we believe that a system where individual people can vote with their dollars, $100 at a time, and power is not concentrated in the hands of a small number of uh, white men who work in VCs on Sandhill Road, hopefully we can get more equitable allocations of
1: capital happening. People voting with their dollars, $100 at a time. It's really inspiring. In many ways, um, this whole crowdfunding movement is part of a broader trend of retail investing and a lot that's happening there. Um, Special purpose acquisition companies that allow individual investors to invest in things like electric vehicle companies and things that they normally would not have the ability to do. Um, the Robinhood brokerage account has been on fire. So there's something bigger going on here. And even those VCs on Sand Hill Road won in. Republic had its own big news this week. It raised $36 million from traditional venture capital investors. One of them, Galaxy Interactive's Richard Kim, said that we're at, and I quote, the early stages of a multi-decade super cycle of retail empowerment. Here's more on that from Ken Wynn, the head of Republic. Uh, the fact that these major marquee institutional investors are now uh, backing, uh, Republic I think is a major validation for just the potential of retail investing
3: overall. I think we have not seen really until recently uh, the GameStop, the Reddit GameStop saga on the power and the momentum and the energy behind it. Obviously, you know the is still out uh, on on whether GameStop frenzy was good or bad, uh, and and I don't have a hard take on it. But one thing I know is that this is just. The beginning. So I think that interest, that need, the, the one of everyday consumer public wanting to be able to invest in products, in businesses around them, most of which are private, I think that trend is that multi-multi-trillion dollar market. You're going to see uh, 10, 20 years down the road, and today's five minutes into this whole new era. But if you run a business and you have 500,000 customers and out of that, 10,000 love you so much that they're gonna put money into you long-term and not getting anything back right away. I mean, any the next round you raise, that's gonna be, it's gonna look incredible. And if you ever go IPO, all of a sudden you have all of these evangelists, right? So um, I only wish that this was legal or at, at this level, Six years ago, so that Uber could have done that for the drivers and Airbnb could have done that for the listers on their platform. Um, no question in my mind that that uh, you're going to see a lot more um, as as retail capital continues to mature.
1: So obviously, this is just getting started and we'll be keeping an eye on it at Impact Alpha. I have my work cut out for me, Brian.
0: Uh, And we look forward to following your reporting on these big developments. As they say, watch this space. That's going to do it for your Impact Briefing this week. You can read all of these stories at impactalpha.com. Impact Alpha's podcasts are available wherever you listen. They're made possible by Impact Alpha's subscribers. Join them and receive the daily brief and full access to impactalpha.com and much more podcast listeners get $100 off their annual subscription. Go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and use the code briefing100 for your $100 off. Thank you for listening. And thanks to our producer, Isaac Silk. I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company Liquinet. Until next time, take good care.